Hey sports fans and welcome to the Business Fixer podcast where we believe that clarity is king and simplicity is queen. Today, episode 12, Lean Six Sigma, A Beginner's Guide. This is going to be an amazing episode because this is the first episode that we have a guest on the show. That's right. We have Mark Jones from Catalyst Consulting coming to drop some knowledge all about Lean Six Sigma for beginners and to tell you specifically how it can help you in a business turnaround situation. It's going to be a good one. The Business Fixer podcast is sponsored by Dad Mode. Let me let you in on a little secret about dads. We are sick and tired of receiving the same old crappy gifts, you know, deodorant and socks. Why not get a great gift for him that's going to make him smile? Head over to dadmode.co.uk and make him laugh with hilarious dad joke t-shirts and dad joke mugs that will certainly put a smile on his face and save him that whole thing about, oh yeah, great, another pair of socks. It's just what I wanted. Also with Dad Mode, uh, it's a social cause that fights male suicide. So if you head over to the podcast section, you can hear the interview that they did with Andy's Man Club. If you use the promo code Andy, A-N-D-Y, and purchase anything at dadmode.co.uk, they will donate a percentage of the profits to Andy's Man Club. That's really cool. So head over to dadmo.co.uk, get some hilarious dad gifts, and join the good fight against male suicide. So I'm really excited about today's guest. Mark Jones is a director at Catalyst Consulting, and I met Mark years ago on a training course where he taught me this whole new idea called Lean Six Sigma, And since then, I have used Lean Six Sigma tools in all kinds of business situations, mainly in business turnarounds. The tools that you can get from this episode are absolutely game-changing. So I'd encourage you to go and check out the show notes on businessfixer.co.uk because we're going to be putting a hell of a lot of stuff in there. Go check out Catalyst Consulting and you know what? They have actually given us a lot of great stuff like webinars and all sorts of stuff that you can go and get a hold of and sign up for. Mark is a highly experienced consultant, coach and trainer with, dig this, 35-year global experience in business and industry. So this is a dude you really need to listen to. And Mark is a Lean Six Sigma master black belt. He's worked and led improvement in manufacturing and engineering, contracts management, uh, financial services, IT, and a wide range of private and public sector uh, companies. So his work has directly and indirectly delivered millions of cost saving, quality improvement, customer satisfaction, and capacity creation benefit. So when I said, you know, this is a great tool, or these are great tools for business improvement, you know, uh, efficiency, cost reductions, uh, improving culture, all that kind of stuff, this is the episode to listen to if you want to know about that. So without further ado, here is Mark Jones from Catalyst Consulting on the Business Fixer podcast talking about an introduction to Lean Six Sigma, Lean Six Sigma for beginners. Okay. Enjoy. So, Mark, really good to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. It's nice to be here. Excellent. So, we uh, met a long time ago, and you taught me about something called Lean Six Sigma, and Mm -hmm. uh, opened my eyes to a hell of a lot of really cool stuff 
many of which, you know, these tools I've used personally in companies where I've worked or when I'm even coaching and consulting. But for the audience who might not be familiar with this, could you just give us like a really quick overview, maybe a 60 second pitch or something on what is Lean Six Sigma? Okay, um, Lean Six Sigma is an improvement methodology. Um, it's actually a combination of lean thinking, which started around about the 1960s um, and combined with Six Sigma thinking, which started around about the 1980s in America. Lean originally comes from Japan. Uh, since around about the year 2000, people have been bringing these two things together, hence Lean Six Sigma. So basically, it's a set of improvement methodologies looking to improve processes in organizations. Um, this stuff has 50, 60 years of global practice. It works in any size of organization in any sector. Uh, we work with startups with us, with a, you know, four or five people through to family businesses, through to SMEs, through to the government. And we work with a lot of global blue chip organizations uh, in many countries. So it's a, it's a way of thinking about your business, a way of thinking about process and improving it. Um, it really is thinking about culture and driving that. Um, but effectively, it, it's about working on your processes, improving your business, engaging your people. It's well proven and it drives things like cost reduction and speed improvement and improving quality, reducing defects in processes. Very effective, very engaging and well proven. And thank you for that. And one of the key things that I took away from our session was uh, you talked about the improvement of say defects and you gave a really interesting stat um you know you know some companies might have like a defect of say one in every hundred of widgets that they produce but you can actually reduce that uh, can you just talk us through what that is because i'm just thinking that some people might be going yeah process improvement efficiency i've heard it before culture improvement yeah 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 but could you just tell us about that number and what this actually can do for someone's business yeah um what Six Sigma thinking does is get us thinking about the rate of defects. And we talk about defects per million opportunities. So if you did a process a million times, how many bad ones would you have? Okay. And we're really trying to drive that number up. If your process had what we call a Six Sigma performance, that's equivalent to 3.4 defects per million opportunities. So roughly one in a million failure rate, 99.999% something. Um, most organizations and businesses, when they actually start to measure how much they're getting wrong and how much rework they're really doing, it's a shocker <laughs> because there's a tremendous hidden factory of just fixing stuff that takes place in most organizations that they don't even realize because they don't measure it. And when you actually start to measure how much of your resource and, and, and effort is, is just fixing failures, which shouldn't happen in the first place. It really is uh, quite tremendous. And what we're trying to do really from a, a Lean Six Sigma point of view is just reduce failure because failure goes straight to the bottom line and it really kills you. Every time you have to rework something, that's straight out of your profit. So it's about thinking and recognizing that those kind of numbers and asking yourself, do we want to put our effort into actually right first time? Or do we want to spend our time and effort just reworking the hell out of everything to, to make sure it goes out the door well, where we should have got it right in the first place? So that leads me on to the next bit, because at Business Fixer, we uh, tend to focus a lot of our content on business turnarounds. And mm -hmm. I can imagine that Lean Six Sigma is a great methodology for business turnarounds. Now, when you go into organizations and you do your coaching, what are mm. some of the common things, the themes, the problems that you find in a business? 
it's well the first thing is lean sigma focuses on process it's it's all about process a bad process will beat a good person no matter how brilliant your staff are on your team are if you're asking them to do bad work or work about process they're not going to be successful so we're really focusing on, on process and understanding that and to be honest a lot of organizations really don't understand their own processes They've got a lot of rework. They've got a lot of uh, workarounds. They've got a lot of variation that they simply haven't surfaced and realized. So a lot of it is recognizing that. And the other main thing uh, to really get them thinking about is actually measuring. I know in some of your other podcasts, you know, you've talked a lot, Haroon, about, about setting goals and objectives and actually measuring your business. And, and this is what Lean Six Sigma thinking is driving as well, is getting real data. You know, we all have an opinion. Yeah, you all, you all know the famous quote on, you know, opinions, everybody's got one. Um, but when you actually start to measure and, and get data in the process, data from within a process, not just the result, not just the result, but actually measuring the work during the work. Um, it really is quite a shocker sometimes. A lot of businesses simply don't realize because they don't have good data. They don't understand their own performance uh, and don't measure that effectively. So it's really thinking about that, understand the process, surfacing the waste and the non-value add because there's shed loads of it in most organizations and actually using data to manage by fact. And do you find that Lean Six Sigma will help people who might say, well, I don't know where to start. I don't know what I should be measuring. Absolutely. There are lots of tools and techniques within the approach which gets people uh, thinking about what to measure. These days we use the phrases a lot, leading and lagging measures, don't we? And generally, a lot of businesses still manage with, with lagging measures. They're still looking at the outputs and the outcomes, and they're not taking leading measures. So a lot of the Lean Six Sigma tools and techniques, for example, uh, a simple tool called SIPOC, S-I-P-O-C, SIPOC, a uh, classical tool really gets you thinking about not only what your process and your scope for improvement is, but getting you thinking about what outputs am I producing and what do I need to measure? What inputs am I using and, and, and uh, you know, taking into my process? What is happening in the process that I really need to get a handle on? So it really helps you understand what's important, these leading measures, what you need to get your hands on in terms of your data. Well, could you give, um, just explain to the audience what a lead measure and what a lag measure is and maybe give us an example? Yeah, sure. Um, lagging measures, sometimes called output measures, sometimes called why measures. These are the things we measure at the end of a process. So we might say, what was our sales revenue for the first quarter? What was our market share last year? How many complaints did we get in the first two months of the year? These are things which businesses need to know, and everybody's always measured them, but you, you only get to know the number at the end of the process. So if, if you take a sales example, you might say sales revenue in the first quarter, you don't know that until the end of the first quarter. You can take a good guess, but you don't know it until the end of the period. Now, the trouble with these kind of lagging measures is that it's too late. It's like driving through the rear view mirror, yeah? One of my colleagues calls it counting the dead. So imagine driving along, you're looking through a rear view mirror and it's like, boom, oh, hit another person, boom, hit another one. <laughs> yeah, you're simply counting the dead. And it's nice to know what's happened behind you. You can make comparisons. You can see how we're doing, compare last quarter to last year or whatever, but it's too late to change it. Now, the idea behind leading measures is to get data while you can do something about it. It's like driving the car, looking through the front window. If we're driving the car looking through the front windscreen, we can see what's coming down the road and we can adjust. We can make changes. We can avoid things. Okay. And this is the concept we're trying to do from a business point of view is measure things looking through the front window, a leading measure. An example uh, in, from a sales point of view might be the number of quotes you write. 
or the number of visits to your website or the number of sales inquiries you have or, or whatever. Because hopefully if you're getting a lot of um, visits to your website this month or you're writing a lot of quotes this week, that is going to turn into sales at the end by the, by the end of the period. So it's understanding those levers that you have early on. If in the first week of the month, you've not had many visits to your website, not many written many quotes, what can we change or we can adjust so we get a better performance next week? And therefore, by the end of the quarter, we will have hit our target. Um, if you don't use these leading measures, you simply get to the end of the end of the period and you'll get disappointed because you haven't got what you thought you, you were going, hoping to get. You haven't got your objective or your target and it's too late to do anything about it. So it's trying to measure these things happening during the work. And that might be measuring how long it takes to do something, maybe the quality of something, but also things like, you know, from a sales point of view, how many quotes you're writing, how many responses you're getting, these kind of things. I know like, I'm trying to lose weight at the moment. And I guess a lag measure would be uh, the stones and pounds. Uh, yeah, you lead, get the scales and that's a lag yeah, measure. <laughs> uh, a lead measure would be calories consumed, calories burned, number of times I go to the gym, things like that. How many biscuits you ate this morning? Because yeah. that is going to be a leading measure. To, by the end of the month, if you keep eating three biscuits a morning, you're going to have a, a, an unpleasant surprise at the end. So it's controlling and monitoring these things during the process. It's really interesting because also when I've been into uh, businesses and talked about uh, lead measures, and one of the bits of feedback that I get, and I don't know if you're the same, is that people will say, yeah, but it's harder to measure a lead measure because it can be a behavioral thing how absolutely. how would you kind of respond to that absolutely uh, it's more effort there's work involved because there's generally lots of them if you for example think uh, how long it take turns to take uh, to turn around a piece of work we've had an order for something and now we've delivered something measuring how long that took is a why measure and that's fairly obvious we know the date we got the order we know the date we shipped it but the leading measures might be how long it took to do this part, how long it took to design this, how long it took to manufacture or procure that. There's lots more things to measure and therefore more work. So there's a, there's a barrier. Uh, another thing you have to remember is that what you're doing here is measuring the process. You're not measuring people's performance. This is not the old fashioned time and emotion type studies. Uh, if I'm going to spend time with you on that particular piece of work, around, I want to understand how difficult this process is and how long it takes you to accomplish it. I'm not trying to make you work harder or, or faster. It's not about your performance. It's about the process. So you've got cultural things with measurement because you know, measuring things can be uncomfortable for people. Uh, there's effort involved, but the, the return on that investment is huge and you're never going to get a better outcome if you don't. Um, most of people listening to the podcast will have heard this, you know, the classic phrase, if you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. Yeah. My shorter version of that is if we change nothing, nothing will change. Yeah. We keep doing the work to say, are we going to get the same results and outcomes? We've got to change the work. Now, which piece of the work do we have to change? Well, we don't know that until we actually measure and understand it. Otherwise, we're just guessing. If I make changes in my process of improvement without that data, I'm making a guess. It might be an educated guess, might be an intelligent guess with years of experience, but it's a guess. It's, you know, call it an estimate if, if, if you want to be a, a little bit softer. But until you actually get some data on this, you don't know for sure how you're doing. What do I have to change and work in this process to get the results I'm looking for? Uh, and there is work and effort involved. There are some cultural things about it, but it's the return is huge. 
So it, it sounds like it's uh, improving efficiencies. Uh, it's uh, focusing on lead measures, things you can control. And when you go into a business turnaround situation, what are some of the most common tools that you use uh, to improve processes? Okay. Um, I've got a little little list here, and I, I've already mentioned one of them in here. I'll just rattle sort of through these. Um, these are classic standard Lean Six Sigma tools. The first thing we want to do is really think about a problem statement. If you can't write down your business problem, you're not going to be able to solve it. So you need to think about creating what's my statement of the problem. If I know where I am, you've talked in the past about objectives and goals. I can't set where I want to get to if I don't know where, where I am now. Um, we start to think about voice of customer and creating what are called CTQs or critical to quality. So in other words, expressions from the customer, what's important to them. If I'm Amazon customer, I want my parcel to arrive on time. Uh, so my CTQ is it's delivered within 24 hours of my expected date. Uh, the product works when I get it out of the box. There's another CTQ. We start to understand the flow of the process by using things like SIPOC, um, value stream mapping, process mapping. We're looking for waste and non-value add. Then we're looking for root causes where we'd start thinking about fishbone and five whys, which is a classic sort of improvement tool. We want to do some brainstorming because we want good improvement ideas. And then we have some uh, techniques to try and help people uh, maintain the improvement. You don't want to make things better and then have the whole thing go down the panel, you know, two or three months later. You need to hold the gain and sustain. So taking this through, we're looking to say, what's the problem we want to fix? Problem statements, CTQs, voice of customer. You want to think about what's going on, process mapping, SIPOC diagrams. You want to think about root causes, fishbone five wise. We want to do some creativity, and then we want to sustain the changes we make. I've so always found, a- yeah, no, thank you. I mean, I've always found the five whys to be a really powerful tool because it's like you, uh, I mean, you'll explain it better than I can, but you, you'll you ask someone a question and you'll get a very surface level <clears throat> response. And right. you, the trick is to try and ask them why five times generally, then you'll get to that kind of root cause. That's Is that pretty much, am I on the nose there? Yeah, you are. The five whys is a, a, quite an old technique, but massively powerful, uh, very contemporary in use as well. Originally comes from uh, the Japanese and from Toyota, which was one of the sort of poster childs for starting improvement. And the reason why, um, you know, Toyota is a world leader in terms of quality of performance is things like this. And this is the idea, you know, small children are great at it, Arun, aren't they? You know, why can't I have a pony? Because. (laughs) So the idea is we keep asking the why question continually to try and really, you know, um, drill down hard. And it's it's difficult to answer. Why is the hardest question to answer? Kids know this and it's irritating, but they're trying to understand what's, what's, you know, what's behind all this stuff. This is the idea. We keep asking why. Maybe it's four or five times. Maybe it's six. It's probably not one. It's probably not ten. But we keep asking why, because, well, why does that happen? Because, because, because. And we're looking for ultimately an actionable root cause that we can make a change on. We're just challenging until until we get to something which is hard and uh, you know changeable. Of course. And uh, one of the key things that uh, I remember on your course was the Demaic, the good old Demaic. Yeah. And um, yeah. <clears throat> 
for those of you uh, who don't know, uh, Mark is going to now just run through very quickly what the Duake is and try and <laughs> condense 50 years worth of uh, knowledge into 60 seconds. So over to you, Mark. Demaic, D-M-A-I-C. It's a problem-solving methodology. It's what we base a lot of Lean Six Sigma thinking on. It stands for define, what's the problem we want to fix, measure what the hell is really going on, what's the process, what's the work that's being done, and what data information do we have. Analyze, which is about root cause. Yeah, what's the causes behind? We don't want to fix the symptoms. We want to fix the real causes improve so what are we going to change then? if we change nothing nothing will change so what are we going to change who's going to do it and when control we need to put those changes into place and make sure we can control that so we keep getting the future we're looking for we don't revert to to the past um the way to think about to make i find is it's what your doctor does if you go to your doctor room and you sit down and the first thing they're going to say is why are you here they're trying to define the problem what do you want me to fix how long have you felt like this then they're going to take some measurements. They're going to maybe blood pressure, breathing, uh, blood tests, heart rate, whatever else. They're trying to get some data. Then they're going to do a diagnostic. So another word for analyze is diagnose. They're going to diagnose your problem. They can use their expertise. They can use the medical textbooks, whatever else. Improve. Now they're prescribing a change. If you change nothing, yeah, you're going to have the same condition forever. So they're going to prescribe, in your case, Arun, more exercise, less calories. <laughs> they're going to make a prescription because they know that if you carry on as you are, you're not going to get the results you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So they're prescribing a change. And then ultimately, at the end of the, of the um, surgery, at the end of the consultation, they're going to say to you, come back in three months and let's see how you're feeling then which is control. They're trying to make sure you've done what they've suggested and you're holding it there. So to make is simply how your doctor works. That's a nice way to think about it. Yeah, really, really good analogy. And I think I remember as well you saying that uh, a lot of the time people can fall in that trap of just trying to go and fix something and they're going down the domain. They're actually three or four steps down the process. They actually need to go back to the defined stage and walk through the process because you can't fix something if you don't know what the issue is. Absolutely right. Um, lots of people, especially any, you know, anybody with a sort of quality of engineering or technical background, they want to jump to the solution. Fix it, fix it, fix it. Problem, solution, problem, solution. They want to go straight from, I've got a problem, to here's an improvement. They're missing out half of the define. They're also missing out all the measure and all the analyze. They're just jumping on what they think is the cause, but actually usually it's a symptom. So they make the changes. They don't get the results they want. They get disappointed. And now they've got to go back and do it again. You've got to follow this thing uh, effectively that doesn't mean it takes a long time you can do a domain project in a, a few days you know do this in a week or or less um but you need to have that structure you don't want to be just jumping to solution you know this knee-jerk problem fix problem fix problem fix because you just simply get the same thing happening again because you didn't identify the root cause you're working on a symptom so you don't make the problem go away if it was like say a company that was i don't know a small to medium-sized business how often, and I know it's a it's how long is a piece of string this one, but how often should people be doing this to make exercise? Like, should they be doing it every time there's an issue or is it kind of like periodically once a quarter, they define what the most common issues are and set it up as a project, you know, to tackle these things? Any and all of the above. What some organizations do is they build the skills, they, they take, you know, training programs with an organization like ourselves and they develop the uh, competence and capability to do projects themselves they get green belt yellow belt training whatever is appropriate for them and they run projects and a project may take a few weeks maybe in a couple of months if it's a, it's a big problem 
other organizations actually embed the problem solving skills within their people and they say we want everyday problem solving yeah um a company like toyota they have a a, a company goal which will say we want i think the number is like three implemented improvement ideas per employee per month wow yeah, they they really really push it. So you can embed these things of daily problem solving. We call it everyday operational excellence. We can embed this thing as daily problem solving, so people are fixing things, improving things every day. On the other extreme, if you've got a big issue, a big problem, you actually want to tackle it effectively, get a little team together, and maybe it takes longer. But if the answer, Haroon, is all the above, you can apply these skills really like that. Um, I used to know. One company I worked in for many years, um, I knew I was really making some, some difference. When I would walk into a sales meeting, just a you know, typical quarterly sales meeting, I just pop in my head for the door, they got a fishbone and five wires on the wall. Mm-hmm. And they're not doing an improvement project. They're simply using these skills to solve a sales problem. Why aren't we selling as many of that model or product as we thought we were going to do? That's not an improvement project, but they're using the skills. So this is the benefit of doing continuous improvement. It's not just about projects. It's not just about changing processes, but you actually start people, you start seeing traction where people use the skills and their simple everyday work. And that's a benefit as well. It, it all builds this in improvement culture. We can do it better. We've now got the skills to do it better and we're all working on it. it brings everybody along. I was going to say that, that you've just said the word there. It's a cultural shift, isn't it? Do you know what it is? Lean Six Sigma is not generally rocket science. Most of the tools and techniques uh, are relatively straightforward. I mean, hey, I even managed to train you on this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's Haroon proof. (laughs) (laughs) But what is is challenging in lean thinking and Lean Six Sigma thinking? It is a change of thinking. That's the hard part. And a change of thinking drives with a, a change in culture. Um, I spent a couple of years working at Aviva. You know, we all know that company. And there was a guy there, uh, one of the directors, and one of his mantras was, everybody here has two jobs, doing their job and improving their job. Mm. So in other words, this cultural change job, we come to do the work we paid for, but guess what? We come to use our brains and make things better. And that is difficult for some people. They want the paycheck and they go home. But this is the cultural change. You know, organizations globally that, that do this stuff, and to be honest, all the successful organizations do Lean Six Sigma thinking. The ones that really make um, an effective use of it, use it to, to drive their culture in terms of we're a team working together. We want to make things better. We want a, a, a change culture where people come to use their minds and not just to do bring their hands to work, but bring their brains to work do the work but also we want them to think about how can i make this better there's got to be a better way of doing this and there always is and, and that is a cultural change it takes time can be difficult for some people and, and change of thinking is usually the challenging part there's some counterintuitive thinking within within lean um, so the tools and techniques not too difficult but sometimes you've got to it's a little bit of a change of mindset and that's the major difference it's thinking differently you can describe lean as thinking differently about work I like that a lot. I like it. Come to do your job and improve your job. I think I'm going to uh, borrow that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know the guy who used to say he borrowed it from somebody else. I, I've tried to track down the quote, but there's, it's all over the internet. And, you know, everybody <laughs> claimed that it, you know but, but this is the way to think about this. And also what you find, what you always find is stars emerge. In any team you have, when you start to give these skills, unexpected people uh, really step up. 
because they've got great ideas in their heads. The job of leadership and management in an organization is simply to uncork the bottle and let their people make the change because they've got all the great ideas. They know the work. They know what goes wrong because they, they see it and they suffer it all the time. So the idea of lean thinking is to uncork this bottle. And sometimes, you very often, you'll find unexpectedly stars will step up. People who've had great ideas for years and then Lean Six Sigma gives them a voice and a way of expressing it and executing it. And very often organizations really surprise themselves where they've got some great people, improvement people who just haven't had that way of doing it. I love, I love this. This is great. I love this episode. (laughs) Uh, From a business turnaround context as well, can you tell the audience what is a Gemba and why should they care? Okay. Um, some lean thinking originally comes from Japan, so there are some Japanese words associated with it. Uh, we try to minimize that because we, you know, we're not trying to blitz sort of people with it. But the word gemba, you'll hear a lot, G-E-M-B-A. Uh, gemba in Japanese means the real place. In English, it means the workplace, the coalface, you know, the sharp edge. In other words, where work is done. And what lean thinking will tell you is the only way to really improve a process is to immerse yourself in the work. You can't drag somebody off off their job into an office and say, tell me about the work. You actually need to go and see it and spend time with them. It's in their comfort zone. Yeah, not yours in your office. Go to their work, see their work, immerse yourself in it, uh, observe, watch. Yeah. And, and this is this is why it's vital. So going to Gemba, you'll sometimes see phrases like Gemba Walk if people want to, want to Google that. A Gemba Walk effectively is, you know, if you're a manager leading the organization, go and walk the process and do it frequently. Talk to your people, watch them working, um, understand what's involved, experience the problems, walk the process. So being close to the work is Gemba. Going, we talk about things like Gemba Walk, we talk about Gemba visits, we talk about go to Gemba. There is no better way to understand your business than to go and see and do take part in the work. See. And what were the three golden rules of doing a Gemba? You know what? That's a good question. I, I'm not sure what you're heading at the top of your head there. The the um, I'll talk about the way Toyota do this. Uh, if you're managing Toyota, they they have a sort of style, and what they say is they say go to Gemba. So this is the way you, you lead. Uh, ask questions. Show respect. So what, what these kind of leaders do is that they don't go to people and say, Haroon, I want you to do this, this, and this. Because if I tell you what to do, you switch your brain off. Inside your head, you're thinking, no, I think you're wrong, but the hell, you know, I'll, I'll do it because I've been told to. So we don't actually, the, the idea is don't tell people what to do, but ask them, um, how are you going to solve this problem? What are you dealing with right now? Uh, what do you think the barriers are going to be? What support and resource do you think you're going to need to solve this? How are you going to go about, you know, what ideas can you apply? Yeah. By asking people these questions, we're leveraging their expertise. We are keeping them engaged. They own the issue now because they're telling us the issue and they're telling us the problem. They're giving us their experience. And that's what this is about. It's about leveraging your, your colleagues, your uh, team's experience. Um, so this is go to Gemba, ask questions. And the third one, show respect. That's exactly uh, what so, I was getting at. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. This is why you'll see the classic Japanese style of everybody wears the same uniform. I've, I've worked in Japanese factories in Japan, and um, you see the leadership coming down in the same clothes and uniform as everybody else. And this is simply to say we're all doing this together. 
There is nobody here who is better than anybody else. We're all taking part. We all have the same uniform on. This is part of the respect thing. Um, this is something you see with good lean thinking is uh, respect people's experience, respect their skills and opinion, and use that from the Gemba point of view. Don't drag them into your office, into your comfort zone. Respect them and go and see them. Spend your time learning from your team. I love that. That was probably one of the golden nuggets that I took away from your session. And I remember getting a bit of a um, reputation as being the Gemba man, because (laughs) I would go and, you know, people would send me to fix something. And like, you know, a couple of days would pass, you know, have you fixed it yet? No, no. Why not? Because I'm still figuring out what it is. So have you told them what to do? No, I'm I'm asking them what's going on. (laughs) You know, I'm asking them how they're doing it. You know, absolutely. Most organizations have work instructions, SOPs, you know, guide cards, they have drawings, they have they have management leadership think they know what's going on because that's what's written in the documentation. The reality, most of the time, is different. There is variation, there are workarounds. Oh no, we don't do it like that, we do it like this. The drawing hasn't changed, but we know, yeah, you only surface this reality of work by going to the Gemba. What the hell is really going on in your process and organization? Whenever you do it, Haroon, I don't know if you saw this, but it's not what you think is happening. Oh, you're, you're, sho- you're shocked. You just like, <laughs> I th- what I thought was happening or what is actually happening are often just worlds apart. You know, yes. it's it's scary almost. Uh, and, and also what you talked about it before, it's about everyone has an opinion. But we're talking about facts, data. This is a form of data. Mm. So, get, so going to do a Gemba, uh, I don't know if that is the correct way of saying it, but doing a Gemba is getting data. What is actually going on? It's not an opinion. It's a fact. And you can it's then... Surfacing, it's surfacing the reality of the work. Mm. And that's, that's really what it is. The reason why this is so important is that there is probably... Um, it's been done in different ways by different people, different teams. And there's probably best practice there. If we're not surfacing the variation, then we're not understanding, oh, yeah, that's a great way we ought to share that. You know, where's the good practice in your organization? You, you would find this out by, by just discovering it. Once you discover good practice, now you can share it. Uh, if we're all doing it differently, we can't all be right. There's probably a better way of doing it, and somebody's probably already got that, so let's grab it. The other reason for this is that if you've got the work happening in different ways, you're going to end up with different results and different variation. And what customers want is predictability. They want um, reliability. They want to be able to trust the quality, uh, the speed of your process. If you say we're going to live deliver on this date, they want that date. They want to be able to trust that. So variations of business killer. Mm-hmm. This comes from Six Sigma thinking. We're trying to reduce variation. Um, but quite often variation is, is one of the sources of variation is the work is being done differently by different people at different teams. And then we get surprised when we get different results. Well, it isn't a surprise. Go look for it. And this is not about saying that you must do it like this, but it's about show, it's about understanding how is it being done, getting the reality, where's good practice, where can we make it better? Let's all learn from each other and get the best result we can from it. A great example of uniformity is McDonald's. Yeah. They're, you know, you may or may like the food, may not may not like the food, but you have to admire the business. Mm. Um, the last time I looked, they got something like 60,000 restaurants across the planet. You know, if each one were to produce a thousand Big Macs a day, that's 60 million Big Macs mm. selling at what three, four pounds a pop, so quarter, of a million, quarter of a million pounds per day. 
<laughs> and one of the big value propositions is that you can go into McDonald's anywhere on the planet, order something, and you get pretty much the same thing. Mm. Um, and how do they achieve that? And the answer is, as you said, they look for all the sources of variation. They use lots and lots of lean and lean sigma type thinking in their business. Now, I won't go into all that detail now there isn't time. But next time anybody you know goes to McDonald's, you take a look. You know, when you go into McDonald's, the drinks are on the left, the French fries are on the right, the burgers come down the middle. And that's the same across the piece because they know that's the best way of doing it. They get the best results if they organize themselves like that. And they they standardize approaches, training, tools, etc. You know, if you're a franchisee from McDonald's, you can't buy your equipment and your materials, your ingredients from anybody you feel like. Mm. You've got to get the right kit because it gives the right results. And these are the kinds of, you know, there's so many good examples of lean thinking. McDonald's is, is, is one of them. The other thing that I loved from your session, and I've taken this and worn it, it's become a phrase that I use day in, day out, personally and professionally, and I just want you to talk about why this question is so important and why people should be using it in their everyday business. But it is the question, the golden question, what does good look like? Yeah, it's 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 a phrase I, I use a lot that I think is well worth knowing. Um, the way I tend to use this is I mentioned earlier about the CTQs, critical to quality. It's a great thing to start thinking about. Ask yourself, what is critical to our customer here? What's critical to the quality of their experience of working with us? And if today we're not meeting that, well, what would good look like? Uh, what good looks like is not about saying what's the solution. It's about saying what's the result. If we're getting this, what would good look like? We don't want to set objectives and targets which are science fiction. It's never going to happen. But we also don't want to just set a target, which is what we're achieving today, because we don't get any, any improvement. For me, this phrase of what does good like, look like, you can apply this to a way of working, to a process, to a, a piece of training, to a tool, to, a, to anything. It's, it's, it's a great question to ask your team is, okay, we're having this problem right now. We're getting this kind of failure. We're getting these kind of defects. Well, what would good look like? Well, we'll do it like this. Off you go. It's a brilliant way to sort of engage people to use their brains. It's a question I use a lot, uh, as you say, pressure personally and professionally is well what would good look like then absolutely i mean the right direction. yeah i mean one of the best ways i used it was uh, in one one business turnaround i did we were with i used to meet with the leadership team on a monday we'd go mm -hmm. through you know what's the big three look like what's the priorities and then i would say what does good look like by friday yeah and it was like forcing them to get granular on the details. So let's say as a, a, an example would be, I'm going to get more sales. Okay. Well, how many from where, you know, <laughs> like, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. It's like, yeah. what does good look like? Well, that's great. I find sometimes sales teams do find this difficult, but just turning around and saying, we're going to get some more sales. We're going to sell more stuff to which my question always is. So what are you going to change then? And this gets them thinking, well, you know, if we do the same process we're going to sell the same product to the same the same marketing at the same pricing at the same marketplace guess what we're going to get the same sales because this is what processes do so what are you going to change then well we're going to change okay so what would good look like mm -hmm. and I, you leave that question hanging and then people will fill in that vacuum and it just makes them think harder mark this has been absolutely amazing if people want to find out more about the great work that you do where can people find you online um 
the company, I'm, I'm a director of a company called Catalyst Consulting. We are a global, but a UK-based consulting organization. If you go to catalystconsulting.co.uk, that's all one word, Catalyst Consulting, or Google that, you can find me and others on LinkedIn, obviously, as well. Um, please reach out. I'm very happy to have conversations. Well, thank you so much. I mean, obviously, uh, for those of you who do listen to the show, we'll be uh, putting all of that uh, great information, the links in the show notes. If you just go head over to businessfixer.co.uk, we'll make sure you get all of the Gembers and Cypox and Catalyst Consulting links and all the good stuff that they provide. <laughs> Excellent.